0: With Elevate 150 from Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, you can grow financially stronger and so can Redeemer Radio. Visit NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values, why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
1: Church Life Today is brought to you
0: in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners. Catholic Christians came into my community, and they helped us with education. They helped us with healthcare. They helped us to find our self-respect and to realize our capabilities when the world had told us for so long that we were nothing and would amount to nothing. And I wanted to be a part of that effort. That's radical Christianity. That's radical Catholicism. How do we find the needs of God's people? How do we, as a Catholic Christian community of believers, say that we believe that God is active in our lives and we want to share the good news we have found with you? These are the words of servant of God, Sister Taya Bowman. She encountered the gospel not just in the words, but also in the actions of the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration who came from Wisconsin down to Taya's hometown of Canton, Mississippi, and there created new opportunities for education, for healthcare, for respect and dignity, for Taya and other young black people like her in the segregated South of the early 20th century. She was so attracted to the gospel that she found in these sisters that she joined them. The Word of God took root in the heart and mind, the imagination, and the cultural history of Taya Bowman. And now, more than 30 years after her death, her cause for canonization is underway, and she shows a new generation of Catholics and Americans what it means to be fully alive in the gospel. As part of the annual Saturdays with the Saints lecture series through the McGrath Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame, Kayla August presented on the life and witness of Sister Taya. Today, Kayla joins me to talk about this remarkable woman, this servant of God, this witness to Christ's life in an especially American context. Kayla herself is a doctoral student in theology and ministry at Boston College. Prior to beginning her doctoral studies, she served in campus ministry here at the University of Notre Dame and also as a rector for one of our women's residence halls. Kayla is a native of New Orleans, Louisiana. You can find the video of her lecture on Sister Taya on the McGrath Institute for Church Life's YouTube page or simply by Googling Saturdays with the Saints, Taya Bowman. As for me, I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. This is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life and the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm glad you're here. Kayla, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, it's good to be here.
0: Thank you. So Kayla, I think we could say that God attracts us through his saints. And here we have one who has caught your attention. So I wanted to start out just by asking you, what has attracted you to servant to God, Sister Taya Bowman?
1: Oh my gosh, she's fantastic. (laughs) So I think we have a very similar story. And so I think part of what makes her so great is who she is, but also to, to see parts of your life reflected in someone who is on the journey to sainthood, I think is a really powerful thing. She is from Canton, Mississippi. So she's from the South. I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. She was so attracted to the Catholic faith that she converted at the age of nine. And then that moved her whole life to the Midwest to join with the Franciscan Sisters. And I have been discernment as part of my life too of what, what is next. And I, as part of that discernment, moved all the way to the Midwest, to Notre Dame, um, <laughs> where I was also experiencing the beauty of the change from the South to the new, colder, where the people are warm, but the weather is cold Midwest. <laughs> and in that, to see this woman who not only really discovered her deep Catholic identity after conversion, but also merged that with her cultural identity, I think so often in Eurocentric kind of driven space that the U.S. can be that if you are from a different cultural background that you don't always see yourself reflected in the church in the ways that you hope. And she embodied with everything she did from her preaching to her singing to her life that these weren't separate things. Who she was and who she was for and within the church were combined. And that was a powerful thing. And so I think she just inspires me to be my true self in the church as well.
0: Yeah. And in speaking on precisely that point that you bring up there in terms of her Catholic faith and her cultural identity, her history, her ancestry, the sort of cultural markers in which, you know, the places where she grew up, she said at one point, I believe, you know, I come to the church as a fully functioning person with my whole self. You've spoken a little bit here to what that means. What do you see that mean in her? What did it mean for her to be fully functioning when she came most fully into her Catholic faith?
1: Absolutely. When I think about her story, I got to read her biography and fell deeply into that because it was so powerful. What I remember about it and what kind of stood out to me is that when she traveled from the South, I came to Mississippi, Mm -hmm. she was in a, a space where she did not know many people who were not Black right? Like Mm -hmm. that was her whole community. And then she moves to this Midwest space to be a part of the Franciscan sisters. And all of a sudden her world was white, not just from the snow falling down to (laughs) the faces of the people around her, right? She said her friends, her teachers, everyone on the street, it was, she was in a white community and she clearly stood out in that way. Yeah, And in that space, I think she can come to the understanding that in order to fit in, in order to to excel in this space, I need to be like the people that I am seeing around me. Yeah, And to be like those people, it wasn't the same experience as her cultural identity, right? So the music they were listening to, the ways in which they engaged, even in song and dance and speaking were in a very specific way of expression. And that didn't necessarily meet hers, but she wanted to excel and she wanted to fit in. And within that, she took on that kind of cultural identity. I think what she realized over time and what the beauty of her story is to me is her, as she discovered even more deeply into her faith and to who God made her to be, she was able to say, I don't have to divorce my cultural identity from my my faith tradition. And in fact, I can merge them together in a more beautiful way. And her sisters, as she was the only Black sister at the time in this order, wanted her to bring that. I think she realized that after the fact, right, that that was something that she offered to the community was bringing that unique identity. I often think about, I don't know if you're a Brene Brown fan, but I am. Okay, She's great. And Brene Brown talks about the difference between fitting in and belonging. Hmm. And that fitting in is assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted in in that space. But belonging doesn't require us to change anything. We just require this to be who we are. And I think her realization was that being who she was in the fullest extent of herself as a Black woman in the church, but preaching, teaching, singing, all that she brought was not only enough, but it was good. And that God wanted her to not to fit in, but to belong, to know that she inherently had worth, and that the worth that she brought advanced the church, advanced her order, and also made the world And this universal church—a more full-encompassing vision of what God wants—and so I think that's what she came to as an understanding, and that's what she preaches about when she says, "I bring my whole self." Yeah, that who she brings is already formed, and she's bringing it to this church.
0: Yeah, I think in the lecture that you gave on Sister Taya, you pointed to her time at the Catholic University of America, where she went for some of her graduate studies, as something of this turning point where she returned to her cultural identity like she actually kind of stepped into herself and I love this distinction that you've brought up for us between fitting in which is a mode of conformity in some ways for approval yes and belonging which is being yourself and yet in some ways harmonizing with what's around you and having other people harmonize yeah. with you absolutely when, in this sort of spiritual and cultural awakening at especially during her time in dc at the catholic university what do we see different afterwards in Sister Teia? Does she appear different? Does she speak different? Does she approach things differently? What did you discover in terms of the before and after of that kind of awakening or that coming home to herself, if you will?
1: What I noticed most is she's a Franciscan sister. What I noticed most is she, in modeling her life after, right, Saint Francis and, and the wonderful Poor Claires and all of that, that she took that with her into all that she already was. So obviously if you're a Franciscan or, you know, the Franciscan order, you know, they they care for the poor, they care for all of God's creation. They have a dedication to building up the church. And she would also say that they have a deep, deep joy that resonates in everything that they do. And that was so true for her and her expression of everything that she did. People would say that when you met her, you know, you just could see the joy resonating from her. You were drawn to her. I think after being very young when she joined the sisters and then going on to further schooling, that in this space, when she was, you know, at Catholic university, she was meeting the black Catholic community. She was getting to know them. She was realizing that she didn't have to divorce who she was from the expression of her Franciscan life. And so I think if I had to say like, what was the newest thing, it was just finding out how she would look for her to be a Franciscan that makes sense, not for others, but for her. And so what does it mean for her to to care for the poor in a unique way, to to care for all of God's creation, to live this life? And so for her, it was putting on even African garb. It was her singing and Negro spirituals as part of her preaching. It was her engaging in spaces in a new way. And what I love about it is she, one of my favorite quotes from her that she said is like, when she went to these very white spaces, right? Uh And she was bringing her cultural identity in that space, she would tell them, you know, like, I've done your way for 32 years. <laughs> now you're going to try a little of mine. <laughs> and I, I love that. Yeah. Like she was like, I, I get it. This is new for you, but like, I'm bringing you something good here. And so she took ownership of that and said, this is something that I can invite other people to as a richer way of knowing God.
0: Well, you know, it's funny to think about that. And I think we, we have some of the videos of her and say these academic conferences, she being a scholar of literature and an expert in William Faulkner, and she would speak often at scholarly gatherings, which, you know, maybe some of our listeners are familiar with. They can be a little bit stuffy and, you know, debonair and whatnot. And she is a scholar, a first-rate scholar doing this work, but she's also presenting as herself, and it has some of what you're talking about in terms of bringing in the song and the way of speaking and a kind of preacher's Delivery to even her scholarly presentation. So sometimes, you know, the funny thing to think about here, and you can find, you know, for people who are listening, you haven't seen these, you can find some of these videos of Sister Taya in these scholarly spaces. Uh, it's bringing into the highest level of academia also this cultural legacy, which she is presenting as not just beautiful, but also worthy of your attention. And Absolutely. in the high, you know, again, in the highest levels of academic inquiry. As you kind of see her in those spaces, I'm sure you've seen some of these. You've probably seen more of them than I have. I love them. Right. Like, what do you see that like how, you know, especially now you're in doctoral studies, you're in some of these places around some of the types of people that she would have been speaking to in this way. How does that strike you to see this sort of encounter in a scholarly academic space?
1: Absolutely. I think it's so dynamic because it transforms the space and transforms what we can think about what that space can even be. It's Funny, it wasn't until I even later in life was talking to a mentor of mine and and I am black female, African-American, like uh, Sister Thea Bowman. And part of it is that I have often been in really white spaces. And what I heard from mentor later is, Kayla, you've learned how to be bicultural, Uh right? you can be in different spaces and and know how to operate in those spaces and and the ways that allow you to communicate and the ways that needed to be in, in that particular space. And I realize that even now taking on, I'm on my way to get my doctorate, that an academia is another space of communication, right? We communicate in a certain way in an academic paper that we probably wouldn't talk to our best friend in. Um, I, I don't think I've ever used thus or therefore in a conversation with my best friend, but I certainly have in an academic paper. And in that space, I think we often become... a. I don't want to say stuffy, but a different version of ourself that is more um, prescribed. So that fits into the parameters that this space calls for. But I think she came in and she bust through that. Mm. She said that she was certainly an an academic and she was very intelligent and she knew her stuff. Oh, yeah. But she came into that space and said, this space doesn't I don't need to fit the space. I want to invite you in this space into all that this could be. And so I am going to bring into this space not only my knowledge, but myself. And myself in a way that awakens knowledge in you that you might have not tapped into. And I think she had a way of not only bringing the intellectual, but the spiritual. When you were singing a song from a Negro spiritual, right? Like a part of your soul is tapped that isn't just your mind. And so she had a way of breaking people out of just their heads and entering to their hearts with how she preached and how she sang and how she lived into those spaces.
0: Mm. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm talking with Kayla August, who is a doctoral student in the School of Theology and Ministry at Boston College. We're discovering the life and holiness of servant of God, Sister Taya Bowman, whom Kayla recently presented on during the Saturdays with the Saints lecture series back here at Notre Dame. You know, thinking of Sister Taya in these academic spaces, her way of engaging with other academics, I suppose like a superficial reading of that is, well, here is a Black woman who has become an academic presenting a different way of doing academics in a mostly white audience, but there's something else that's going on there that's actually far more profound. It's, it seems that here is a model of what it means to be fully human, a fully functioning human as an academic, right? So as you're that's talking it. about, she's bringing into what she's studying and what she's talking to other scholars about part of herself, which doesn't mean this is autobiographical. It means that your way of learning is also always culturally situated. It it always has to come from something of who you are. And so, you know, I want to think about that a little bit together. This Sister Taya, who herself is a model of what it means to be fully human, that the gospel, in fact, not just invites, but demands that we become fully human. And how How do you see that as part, or do you see that as part of her witness? And if you do, like, how do you see that as part of the gift of a holy person like this for the life of the church?
1: Yeah, she was fully human and also she was unapologetically black. I think that that's, that's something that strikes me. I, again grew up in this church. I am born and raised Black Catholic from New Orleans, and it's something I'm super proud of, my my faith tradition and also my cultural tradition. And I think when I look at that in the church, again, when we're we're often in the U.S. in a Eurocentric-driven mm-hmm. spaces of how church can be lived, then we often, if you are not that, you have to kind of divorce that from, from how you're going to pray and how you're going to engage with God. But When we see examples like Sister Thea, and again, this is, people don't know, this is a Black Catholic History Month. So also we're thinking of people like Martin de Porres, right? All of these, there's many, many Black saints and those also on their way to sainthood. But within that context, what you're able to see is holiness, Mm. right? A different view of holiness. I think we have to remember that we teach both explicitly and implicitly. Right when we mean to or not, we're teaching at all times. And in our church, when we talk about holiness and all we see on the walls are white images. When we talk about prayer and all of, and, and music and all of our expressions are white in expression, then what we're saying is this is the box that holiness fits into. And if you're not a part of that box, if you're from a different cultural context or any minority group, and you're saying, well, that's not how I talk to God. That's not how I experience this thing. And you're saying, can I really be holy? It is my life, is my authentic self connected to God in the same holy way. And I think what she opens up for us is the door of saying, of course, in this universal church, Catholic meaning universal, there is universality in how we speak to engage with and talk about God. And even in the faces that we see that embody holiness. And when we see her, at least when I see her, I see someone who reflects me, right? Representation, I think, is really important in the church and in the world. And when I look at her, I say, if she is holy, then I too can be holy and I too can become a saint.
0: Yeah. That notion of embodied holiness, I love, I love the way you put that. And I think now back to Taya's childhood, before she was Taya, which is the name she took on in her religious community, she was educated by the Catholic sisters that she eventually went to join, by the Franciscan sisters, Perpetual Adoration, who made their way to Canton, Mississippi, and began to open schools and to educate there. So you can say very clearly and literally that Sister Taya Bowman, servant of God, is the fruit of Catholic education. Absolutely, But she's not just a product, it seems, of the work of the sisters. As you're talking about here, the embodiment, the embodied holiness in order for there to be fruit, it has to be born in her, right? Like it has to flourish in her. And so, you know, when you were talking earlier about her integration of her Franciscan spirituality with her cultural identity later, especially as she got to Catholic University of America, I wonder if we can look back together to her early education and we can, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about the impact or what this kind of vision of what a Catholic education can be from what we see in Taya Bowman, what it became in her.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think we need to know a little bit about where she's from in Kenton, Mississippi, and, and how she got to this Catholic school. So she was at first in public school in Kenton, Mississippi. And this we have to remember was during our really divided time in the US, and it was during segregation. So mm-hmm. she was in an all Black public school in Kenton, Mississippi. And we have to realize that segregation affected a number of things. It wasn't just, you know, who hung out with who or what lunch counter you were allowed to sit in, it was also educational systems. It was also housing and who had access to that. It was political activity, who could run for office and even people could vote. So all of those things were being affected. And for young Thea, who was going into the world, it was her education. So what she had access to in this school, it was a disadvantaged education. It was under resourced right? The right schools around her had resources that she didn't have. And, and her school was also understaffed. So although she was intelligent and wanting to learn and ready, she didn't have the resources to excel. And that, by the fifth grade level, was showing. And her parents said that they could see her falling behind. And so when the sisters, these wonderful sisters came in, they were offering a different educational option at this Catholic school. And they were not just saying, come join us as an educational option, but they were saying, we care about this community enough to be integrated and involved in it. And she knew the value of education. Thea talked about even her, her grandfather, who was actually born into slavery, that he would talk about the value of education, that education was the best way to break the cycle of injustice, that education gave power. Because as a slave, as we know in, our, in, in history, slaves were not allowed to read and write. They were not allowed to be educated. So he knew the power of education. And her parents knew that power. And she knew that power. And so to be given access to a different space of education, they took that on and they trusted these sisters to not only care for them, right, their minds, but also care for them fully. These sisters, I I just love hearing the story because when she talks about their witness, and I think that that's what she was drawn to, their witness. She talks about them raising money, putting together like a goodwill so that people could buy new clothes for a nickel. They wrote to different benefactors to get books, to get clothing, to make sure that this education was affordable and accessible to everyone. And they came in to say, we're not just Christians in name, we're we're Christians in action, Mm -hmm. right? We're Christians who want to do the thing that needs to be done. And we have to believe that these sisters, and we know, right, saw people who were not as supportive of what they wanted to do. But they said, every child deserves a good education. And for us, our Christian witness right now in this moment in time is to make sure that we go into spaces where this education is needed and we provide it with everything we have. Thea saw that and was transformed and wanted to be a part of people who not only talked about their faith, but witnessed it in that.
0: Ah, love that. Love that. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. My guest is Kayla August. She's a doctoral student at the School of Theology and Ministry at Boston College we're talking about the life and witness of Servant a god sister taya bowman i want to talk about or think together kayla about taya bowman today so she died just over 30 years ago 1990 from cancer so we're now several decades from her life a generation almost has passed from the time when she lived and yet perhaps even more today than when she was than when she died she seems to be coming into Uh, a sort of prominence in the imagination of American Catholics, of especially black Catholics. This seems to be a time when Taya Bowman is speaking to a present moment. So I want to think about her as potentially a saint for our times and ask you if she is a saint for our times. And uh, here, let me just read a little quote that I found here about saints for our times. This comes from the Jesuit theologian, Karl Rahner, who oftentimes is not poetic. But in this case, he is a little bit. So here he says this. He said, herein lies the special task which the canonized saints have to fulfill for the church. They are the initiators and the creative models of the holiness which happens to be right for and is the task of their particular age. They create a new style. They prove that a certain form of life and activity is a really genuine possibility. They show experimentally that one can be a Christian even in this way. They make such a type of person believable as a Christian type. Their significance begins, therefore, not merely after they are dead. He's speaking about what it means for the saints to be, to be saints as gifts of the church. They appeal to our imagination. They show us Christ's beauty in a way that we have not seen before. So, here in the 21st century, several decades in, Taya Bowman as a saint for our time, how do you potentially see her as the saint for us now?
1: Absolutely, I think she, in her authenticity, in her willingness to speak up and speak out, and to be herself in spaces, I I think it's a call to all of us of what is sainthood and how are we all each called to be saints. So, one of the things on her grave that she asked me put on her grave was the words "I tried, (laughs) I tried," and I boy, I think she succeeded. But she said, "I wanted to say I tried because." I want people to know I tried to love God and love them, right, with all I could, and the rest is immaterial. What does it mean to sainthood today as we are, again, all each called to be saints, that we try, that we bring our whole self to this church, that we bring our authentic selves to this church, that we come into spaces loving God, praying, and not just praying with our hands but praying with our feet, doing God's work in the world and making God known to everyone we encounter. I think that could revolutionize the world and the church, right? And that she, as an example for someone of our time, her picture actually hangs over my bed, and and it's a picture of her preaching to the U.S. bishops, Mm -hmm. this space where she had a moment to speak, to speak to those who had the power to make change and who were doing or who are living their lives for this church and saying, how can we do this together? I think in an increasingly divided world, as you know, we live in right now, um, at least politically, that What she is saying is our differences are an asset to this church. And how can we come together to show the beauty of God? How can we come together to really show God's love? And as we come together, we lift each other up. We bring ourselves closer to, again, our everlasting home in heaven. And we embody the beauty and the light of God that is around us every day. People don't always get to see it, but when they encounter us, I hope they get a glimpse.
0: Yeah. To think of what's written on our gravestone, I tried as part of the path to holiness is to give yourself, to be free to give yourself, and then to actually do it. I wonder if you might speak about what you see as some of the potential impediments to trying that we discover in our church today. Maybe it's especially for Black Catholics, especially when it comes, I suppose, implicitly or overtly as impediments to, bring, to allowing somebody to bring their whole self as a Catholic. Or if it's coming internally out of uh, a reticence to trying—that is to say, to being fully present—where do you see, or what do you, what might you see as some of these impediments?
1: Absolutely, I—I I speak for myself as a, mm-hmm. as a Black Catholic in this church, and and I do again in New Orleans, where there are many Black Catholics. I do have church homes that have a beautiful Black culture and church tradition all mingled together, but I think often in the church when I travel and in my life, that I have, again, been in more white spaces. And in those spaces, I think you're right about that implicit versus explicit. I think we explicitly always say welcome, right? Come mm. as you are, that everyone is welcome in this space. But it's one thing to invite someone to the table, and it's another thing to actually prepare a space. What does it mean to say that someone is welcome? It's not just saying, look, the door the door is there, you can walk in and if you want, it's to say that when they come in, you're saying, we're so glad you're here. And that not only you, but the things that matter to you matter to this church and to this people. I remember moments after death of George Floyd and many things that happened over the summer. There were many, many names, unfortunately, that were wrongfully killed um, in the black community. And often in church, when I was there, what I wanted to hear is an intention an intention that was lifted up for that community, lifted up for that person. And I think it was like a small way for us to say, you're not just holding this on your heart, Kayla, but all of us are. Yeah. All of us as a United community are caring about this thing. And the number of times I heard silence was too many. Mm. The number of times that intention was never included, but something else was. And it tells me the intentions are an important part of masks. It shows us what this community cares about. And what is left out of that shows us also what we care not to notice. Mm-hmm. And so I think, in that space, if you are any form of other, what you don't hear, the silence speaks just as loud as the words. And so I ask us in our representation and the words we say and what we don't, what are we actually inviting in and how are we making this church a welcoming space for every single person that comes through the door?
0: What I've heard sometimes in response to what you're pleading for there in terms of the specific intention, the specific name, to name the injustice, to pray for God's Healing and intervention in this way. What I hear sometimes in response is, well, I preached on love, or the intention was for peace, but it wasn't in this way that you're talking about specific. What would you say in response to that? That the preaching was on loving one another, that the preaching was on equality. These are kind of broader things. How would you speak to that? Yeah,
1: my thought comes back to a, a comedian, I know his name on top of my head, but who Made it a joke, but said something that was really wise. He said, What would it mean, you, Lenny, you're married to yep. a, a wonderful woman? Yep. If she said, I love you. And your response was, Well, I love everyone. <laughs> <laughs> right? right. <laughs> it's not untrue. <laughs> right. You're living a Christian life, but what does it mean to say, I love you? That when we make these kind of global statements of like, Yes, we want peace. Yes, we want love. but the person in front of us is asking, what does it mean to see me for all that I am? Yeah. What does it mean that I have worth and I have value and that you are caring specifically about the needs on my heart? And I think as a church, yes, God loves all of us, but God also loves us as if there was only one of us. Mm-hmm. And so we as Christians are called to say, What can I do to make sure that you individually are being served by this church in this world? How can I make sure that the injustices that are are affecting you, that I also know that they affect all of us, and I am working to change those. And so I think part of naming them specifically is saying that we care specifically for you and that you are not alone in this. We are in this together.
0: Mm. This seems to me, I mean, it's as a pastoral priority there, it's a matter of perceptivity to actually perceive well. To hear, well, who is it that is suffering? Not a generic or general cry of suffering, but somebody's or some community's actual specific cry of suffering. And It sounds to me like what you're calling for is that we as a church have to listen, not just attentively, but specifically and align ourselves with the ones who are suffering, not a general kind of suffering, right? This seems to be the pathway to mercy. And I think, you know, to bring this back to Sister Taya, this seems to be one of her special gifts is actually to hear very specifically, right? To be attentive to the particular.
1: Absolutely. You know, one of the quotes about her that also stuck out to me is someone said, when you meet her, you know her from the inside out. Mm. And when you meet her, you're going to meet yourself. That just by encountering her, you know yourself more fully. And I think that when you encounter I hope that when we counter each other in the church that we not only bring ourselves, but we allow us to know ourselves more fully. And that in those spaces, we are awakening the individual parts of ourselves that God loves and showing to each other that that part is loved by God and loved by the person across from you.
0: I mean, this sounds like just an urgent challenge for the church itself, that what is said of Taya there, that when you meet her, you come to know yourself or you know yourself more fully, that should be, That should be the encounter with the church, that everyone's encounter with the church should bring you into a fuller knowledge of yourself because here is the encounter with the body of Christ, and Christ is going to show you yourself if it is truly him that's being presented to you, right? So I I suppose this brings us back to what you were saying before, and maybe we'll, we'll start to come towards a close with this about that embodied holiness, that she took in the gospel deeply and that the word of God took flesh in her. Perhaps we can say this of all the saints, this is what they've done. They've allowed that word to take on and change their flesh. How does she, maybe I can ask you personally, how does she challenge, inspire you today as a Christian, as a Catholic? How might we be inspired, challenged by her in her embodied holiness?
1: Well, for me individually, I hope she inspires all of us to be ourselves and to bring all that we are. Um, and know that all that we all has worth, and that we are loved by God. But to me, in particular, she was a woman who preached, mm. and I'm a woman who's called to preach. So to have the courage to preach in spaces and to speak as again as a vessel of God speaking through me in those spaces where I am maybe hesitant to, or I think people might not want to hear it, or I think I don't have the words in which this particular academic setting wants to hear it in this way. But to say. They they need to hear it. God's calling them to hear it. And if you say it from your heart, it will be heard. Mm. That is how she inspires me. Love it.
0: Well, Kayla, this has been just such a fruitful and enlightening conversation. Thank you so much for, first of all, your lecture on Sister Taya and people heard in the intro where they can find that lecture from the Saturdays and the Saints. So hopefully people have a chance to check that out. But thank you also for bringing this light to Sister Taya here with us today on Church Life Today. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. So good to be here.
0: And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame, and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners.
1: Ave Maria Press has been publishing Catholic books and resources for more than 150 years and they are located right on the north side of the Notre Dame campus. Visit AveMariaPress.com for a wide selection of spirituality books, classic Catholic literature, and even books for families. You can also find podcasts and free downloadable Catholic content. Visit AveMariaPress.com and receive 25% off your order with code Redeemer. Ave Maria Press, helping people to know, love, and serve God.